In the face of a new age of rapid information and technology expansion, our next guest has dedicated his life's work and mission to what he sees as the new future for healthcare. Dr. Daniel Kraft, founder and chair of Exponential Medicine, joins us to discuss how the unlimited potential technology has to innovate the healthcare industry and ensure better personalized treatment at lower costs and his mission to accelerate health equity through technology. Join us for this inspiring conversation as Dr. Kraft shares how innovation can come from unexpected places and why collaboration will move the healthcare industry forward. Let's go. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Hi, Dr. Kraft. Welcome to our podcast. I'm honored to be able to spend time with you today. Great to be with you, Mike. Well, Daniel, given your passion and global thought leadership on the future of health, medicine, and technology, and your commitment to fostering education and opportunities in these arenas, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. But before we jump into your story journey, your mission, and all the work you're doing to help lead the charge, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Clubhouse in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Daniel, it's almost time for us to discuss the ways we can all reimagine and catalyze the future of health and medicine. But first, I'm going to randomly select an icebreaker question so we can get to know you. We are talking travel, favorite place, and why? Oof. The top answer I probably think is Cinque Terre in Italy. I think you're a nice Italian boy. If you've been to Cinque Terre, it's on the Italian Riviera. I think I've been there four or five times. That's one special place to go. And why? I mean, it's pretty obvious. At first when I felt like it was time had stood still since, I don't know, the 1800s. The people were warm. The sun was out. It felt like it's supposed to be Italy. And I just love the mix of people and ideas. And it wasn't too touristy. I think it's been discovered since then since I first went in 1990. Oh, wow. So way back. Yeah. So I've been in Italy a couple of times. I haven't been there specifically. My favorite place I've ever been to in Italy are like the Pompeii ruins. So I, we went to Ercolano, which is just up the road from Pompeii. Somebody said, oh, you got to go there. It's much smaller. It's actually more intact. Did you ever visit the ruins? I think I've been off the coast to the island of where the Blue Lagoon is, Blue Grotto off of the coast of Napoli. And I'm blanking on the name of the island right now, but never to Pompeii. It was close by. Oh, it was unbelievable. Of course, would love to get back there soon. I know we are starting to come out of the pandemic, a little bit more travel plan. But yeah, big, big fan of Italy. Well, thank you for sharing that, Daniel. And I'm looking forward to discussing your journey and mission after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. Located in Denver, Colorado's nationally ranked River North District, Catalyst is a healthcare innovation campus that brings together stakeholders from across the industry to accelerate innovation and drive real, lasting change our nation desperately needs. From established organizations to startups, from accelerators to advocacy organizations, and from medical schools to global companies, everyone at Catalyst works side by side to create, develop, refine, and bring to market cutting-edge innovations that will fundamentally transform healthcare as we know it. 
with industry leaders like Medical Group Management Association, Olive, Medical Solutions, UC Health, Cirrus MD, and many others calling Catalyst home, along with innovative pioneers visiting from across the nation. Catalyst continually fosters their foundational belief that collaboration and partnerships will move the healthcare industry forward. To virtually tour Catalyst and claim your space on campus or host an upcoming event, visit CatalystHealthTech.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Dr. Daniel Kraft, founder and chair of Exponential Medicine and so much more happening in his camp, which we're going to talk about today. Dr. Kraft, been a big fan of your work for many years. Thank you so much. It's a little bit of time to join up on the podcast today to discuss a little bit of your journey, which is a storied one. Then, of course, talk about what's current state. What are you working on today? What are you seeing? Some amazing things happening with your work over at XPRIZE, of course, with Exponential Medicine. I know you have a few things in the works there happening. And then, of course, where are we heading, right? These past 15 months, we have seen a ton of innovation, a lot of out of necessity, right? We kept hearing over and over again, oh, what happened, you know, what we thought was going to happen in 10 years had to happen in the first six months of the pandemic. From my perspective, those are some of those phoenixes that were rising out of the COVID ashes. But I also think the next 15 to 24 months can be as equally inspiring and exponential for this industry as well. But before we get all into that, Dr. Kraft, take us back a bit. You're a Stanford guy. So, hey, go Cardinal. I know we have that mutual bond, medical school there, but then you also served our military Give us a little bit of that journey, and then we're going to get into current state on all the wonderful work you have your hands in. Yeah, well, you were on the Stanford football team. I was just in the Stanford marching band. So that was an experience after I was the student conductor of the Brown Band, which was an interesting experience as well. (laughs) At Stanford, I think the Stanford band players, they're the cooler ones than the football players. (laughs) Yeah, but they often get banned for interesting reasons. So the band gets banned. So, wow, where to start? Born in London, uh, as you can tell from my non-existent accent. Grew up in the Washington, D.C. area and was kind of lucky to get my start early in life in sort of science and biotech. I could bike to the National Institute of Health and I did a little internship there uh, the summer after 10th grade and helped make antibodies to the IgE receptor. And then in uh, 11th grade, we had to do these science fair projects. And I thought, oh, I'd help make some monoclonal antibodies. What if we use those to bind to the IgE receptor, block the type 1 mediated histamine release that happens when you have basic allergies? And Make a long story short, was able to cure allergies in the test tube and won the county science fair, international science fair. Next year came back, did it in, in rats and cured them of allergies with these monoclonal antibodies. And uh, I got my start in science. So I'm like, you can come up with an idea, show that it works, bring it to an animal model. At the time, I thought we should take this to humans who've got allergies, hay fever, asthma. And there were, wasn't quite the uh, ability to really make humanized monoclonal antibodies. So we kind of published it and I went off to Brown University where... I always say I, I majored in extracurriculars. I was the conductor of the student of the Brown Band. I ran the Brown Flying Club where I learned to fly. I was an EMT, so I got my sort of first clinical chops. I worked in the lab and even went back to the NIH to work for several summers. But I think what catalyzed my thinking was I liked the blend of doing clinical work as an ambulance EMT, mostly taking care of kids with twisted ankles when they were drunk, but also the science side of the equation. So I came across the pond to Stanford where I got a phone call as a Stanford medical student from Genentech, who was in a patent dispute with another company, and they wanted my original publications on my curing allergies. And eventually that became a drug called Zolaire, which is now still a billion dollar a year drug. So every time I meet someone from Genentech, I'm like, I'm here for my royalty check. And they laugh at me because in the late 80s, no students or college folks knew the word IP or startup or entrepreneurship. It didn't exist. <laughs> and now if I was in the same era, I probably would have started a biotech company as a high school student. At Stanford, I was lucky to 
also kind of bridge all the amazing elements on campus. Aside from being in the band, I was part of the Stanford Space Systems Engineering class. I got to be the only non-engineer helping design missions to the Mars, along with the Soviets at the time. I got to spend a summer at the International Space University designing missions to Mars as well. Was back in the lab with a famous stem cell scientist called Irv Weissman and worked on immunology and Howard Hughes Fellowship. But most importantly, took the opportunity to spend my last year doing kind of other interesting things at the Convergence of Medicine. I went to Nepal and did a three-month stint doing research, but also learned to meditate and doing a medical project in rural Nepal. Spent three months with NASA doing other work on countermeasures to microgravity and did a rotation at Johnson Space Center. And I built my first startup, an online medical bookstore, and then went off to residency at Mass General Hospital and did medicine pediatrics and then came back to Stanford for fellowship. So I'm going to go too long, but I'll stop there. I want to go back to the Stanford experience because I know you were there before I was. Was it entrepreneurial yet? I mean, was there that sense, even though you were there for medical school, right? You weren't going to formally business school, but at least when I was there, it was everything was entrepreneurial. I was fortunate to go there right when this little thing called the internet was being turned on in the mid to late nineties, right? Did you get that same sense when you were there as well? Because you even got a taste of it a bit. Like you even said, you didn't realize that you essentially created a biotech company. So there I was in high school kicking footballs, practicing while you're discovering the scientific breakthroughs, but (laughs) I digress. But when you were there at Stanford, did you get that feel, that sense of this entrepreneurialism that like anything is possible? How was that for you? This was the early 90s. It wasn't quite the boom, boom internet. In fact, it was, I think my fourth year of medical school, I visited a rotation at Harvard Medical School and they had the first internet connections in the library and spent most of my rotation surfing the web on the early browsers, Mozilla. And that was where I got my catalyzed first entrepreneurial idea that I saw the first very basic websites where you could buy things. And I thought, I'm pissed off because the Stanford bookstore, which you might remember on University Avenue, always had overpriced books. Oh, yeah. Once a year, there'd be a stethoscope sale. So I built the first online medical bookstore. I taught myself HTML. I got myself a reseller's license. I invented the wheel. Now you can kind of do that plug and play. But at the time, couldn't. I built uh, an online bookstore with the top books that most medical students buy. Dubin, Robbins, Stryer, added stethoscopes, added clogs. And when you ordered from me, I just processed it on a manual, no privacy email, processed your credit card, and then had it drop shipped. So I know it had no inventory. And I ran that later from my Beacon Hill apartment when I was a Mass General resident. My mom became customer service and sold it at the height of the bubble in 1999 for then a couple million bucks. That was still funny money because the company that acquired it was public and I was locked out for too long. And by the time the lockup was done, the bubble had burst. So that was a good lesson. But it was the idea about having an unmet need. My pain point was, wow, books are too expensive. They're hard to get. There's sales once a year. Now the internet is here. There's new ways to do things and reimagine solution set. In this case, I knew what the popular books were. So that was a bit of my start in entrepreneurship. It wasn't the same thing. I don't think it was in the water until maybe, you know, 96, 97 at Stanford. When I came back for fellowship, it definitely was. Every professor was doing a, some startup company. People were dropping out of medical school to build a new health-related app. And I started doing the same thing as a fellow. So there's something in the water here. Wow. I love it. And so then, of course, you started to get into business. You founded a few companies. You're still leading a few as well. How did that transition go from also, you know, serving the military, being a physician, then turning it all that into building companies? Give us a little bit of that background as well. It's fascinating. Well, I think what's been interesting for me is I was always, I don't know if I'm, I'd say I sort of interest wise, I kind of liked everything in medical school. I had a real tough time deciding what specialty to go into. I love surgery. I loved emergency medicine. I like orthopedics. I almost went to all of them. And I ended up doing medicine and pediatrics combined at, at Mass General and Boston Children's and came back for fellowships in hematology, oncology, and bone marrow transplant. But at the same time, I get myself open to other things, building a startup, doing aerospace medicine. So I joined the Air National Guard as a flight surgeon, got to fly F-15s in the backseat as the flight surgeon, 
on Cape Cod, later came back to Stanford and joined the Guard in California in Fresno with F-16s. So that always, you know, kept my world open to other areas. I was lucky as a fellow to be part of the first year of Stanford's biodesign program, which really emphasizes finding a pain point, really understanding it in a robust way. And in my setting, I was doing a bone marrow transplant fellowship and I thought there needs to be a better way to harvest bone marrow stem cells instead of poking a needle in someone's rear end a hundred times. So I invented this device called the Marrow Miner, which I got through FDA approval. It's now part of a company called Regen Med Systems. So if you need to harvest bone marrow for any bone marrow transplant or stem cell application, that's a better way to do it. So look up regenmedsystems.com. So that was all around finding you know, solutions, just like we do with the bookstore piece. And that sort of catalyzed you know, thinking into the entrepreneurship side. And then about 12 years ago, I was asked by my friend Peter Diamandis, who I knew from the space world, he'd co-founded International Space University to help out with the first summer of what's called Singularity University, which is held on the NASA Ames campus. And the idea there is many folks, we get super trained in medicine or in AI or pick your specialty or area, but we often don't connect the dots and see where technology is going on this exponential. It was co-founded by Ray Kurzweil at Singularity University, which is, you know, how do you understand the pace of technologies which are like Moore's Law accelerating and are shifting the world underneath our feet and disrupting many industries when you leverage them to build the Ubers and the Netflixes and the y'all know example and the Googles of the world. So that sort of helped turn me into an accidental futurist. I started really looking at these convergence of technologies, how we might reimagine the future of health and medicine. And that's informed a lot of my thinking. And from that, I now have like, you know, four different TED Talks that touch on this element. And it's always surprising to me how many amazingly talented folks, particularly in healthcare, entrepreneurs included, are so narrow in what they're doing. They don't see what's coming convergently that might disrupt them or they might use to help disrupt others in a positive way. And, and healthcare has got so many pain points and areas to solve for. We need to think about not just the technologies of today, but what's coming next if we're going to solve for them in impactful manners. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment because I really want to focus in on, because I'm a big fan of it, what you guys are doing with exponential medicine. But before I go there, I got to ask, because I'm sure a lot of people are thinking of it themselves. A lot of people inspire to be like, how can I be Daniel Kraft one day? But I got to ask you a question because you set me up for it. A lot of mentors and advisors be like, don't do too many things at once because then nothing gets done. You just shared with our audience a lot that you were doing all at the same time. You even mentioned it like, oh, I, do, I wanted to be orthopedics and oncology. So I was going to just do it all. What's your advice to that aspiring entrepreneur out there? How did you get all that done? Well, I'm not a master at time management. Believe me, ask my wife. <laughs> it was sort of like you follow your passion. A lot of, I had the space passion. I, you know, I went to the Apollo 17 launch as a kid. If you watch my TED talk that just came out in May of 2021, I told the story of being at that launch, then later as a medical student meeting Gene Cernan, the last man on the moon, and some of the connections between you know, space and collaboration to solve big, hairy problems like space flight that can apply to healthcare. There's a quote from Agina Dugan who used to run DARPA, you know, like Sputnik sparked the space age, COVID has sparked a bit of a health age. So I've always loved the elements there. And so I was sort of following my bliss. I became a flight surgeon and I learned to fly. I went and did crazy missions to Mars design projects, but that got my, my, me out of my headspace of the normal medical student, you know, super narrow. And so I think that helped me help be a cross connector and see what was possible and take lessons from other fields, which has informed a lot of the other things that I've been doing with Exponential Medicine and XPRIZE and other startups, because the most interesting things happen at the interface, not in the silos, particularly the silos that we've built a lot of health and medicine on top of. Well, and that teased me up for exactly what I wanted to really look at today with you is the efforts around exponential medicine. You guys have been at it now for quite some time. Of course, also, you were named about a year and a half ago, the chair for the XPRIZE Pandemic Alliance Task Force, another phenomenal group. I've been close to them on a number of efforts myself, but let's go there. Let's talk about exponential medicine. Let's talk about XPRIZE. I know you have a few things in the works around exponential medicine as well, but what's happening there? Why is that important to our community? Why is that important to move 
as you mentioned, health and medicine forward. Why are those initiatives so important? Well, to zip back first to your prior question about doing lots of things, I think one thing that anyone can take away as a lesson is make sure you're keeping your curiosity up and your cross-fertilization with others. Maybe you go to a talk about 3D printing or blockchain or other elements that, oh, how does blockchain apply to healthcare? It might not, but actually it does. And so that crosses over to where we're in the early years of Singularity University, 2009, 2010. We had a lot of folks coming to our executive programs, getting their minds blown about what was coming next. And many of them were very interested in healthcare. Many of the emerging early, even digital health companies were started by people who came from outside of medicine. You know, they left Google or other companies and had done well in the tech world, but want to apply their mindset to healthcare. And it was a perfect time where technology was starting to really accelerate, you know, the fact that you could have a wearable on your wrist that was new in 2009, Fitbit came out, you know, 23andMe, which I helped a bit with, which just went public. I knew Anna and Linda and had a bunch of coffees with them spooling up the idea of personal genetics. The main idea that I was sort of see was that many people were still stuck in their silos. I'm an oncologist. I go to the oncology meetings, cardiologists go to the cardiology meetings. But the interesting things happened in the convergence. I put together a program initially called FutureMed that would bring people from other realms together. So you bring cardiologists with nurses, with pharmacists, with investors, with medical device, with gaming people, with AI folks. And we'd mix it up and look what was cutting edge and where things were heading. And that would, and the sparks that happened in the room with a hundred folks have led to many new initiatives and collaborations and friendships. And so then grew that to a larger program called Exponential Medicine, which has held for the last eight years at the Hotel Del Coronado. And now that's 800 people from 50, almost 45 countries each year. And the idea is, again, to get people from different areas to cross-fertilize. And often these are the folks who are like, want to be the chief innovation officers in their company, but are kind of foiled from the corporate mindset. Or they have interesting ideas that they want to mix with others that might not come directly from healthcare. And so it's been a pretty magical platform where we've had you know, everything from the CEO of Moderna there in 2014, the early, early era of Livongo. And you see things early before they became obvious. And that would help catalyze thinking, you know, around the world and, and hopefully impact innovation and new companies. So it was a bit unique in that exponential medicine was at this convergence point and where you would really find what's coming and what's next. And it's been amazing to see the friendships, the connections, the startups, the hopefully impact that's come out of that over the last decade. And we'll talk a little about future state as well as where things are heading for exponential medicine. I know obviously you're not done yet. There's still things in store. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But I also, Daniel, I want to highlight the incredible work happening around the XPRIZE Pandemic Alliance. You know, now you've been the chair for a year and a half. We're now slowly, well, potentially coming out of the pandemic. We're getting vaccines and arms. What has happened over the past year, maybe first frame up for the layperson listening in, what is the XPRIZE Pandemic Alliance? And what have you guys achieved in the past year and a half? But then also, where do things go next with the Alliance? Because there are global giants at this table alongside you in this Alliance. So maybe we can talk about all that. So we mentioned sort of COVID as a catalyst. Sort of the silver lining is it forced collaborations and things to happen faster instead of incremental medicine, a little bit of exponential medicine as evidenced by virtualized care and hospital to home and remote patient monitoring and new AI elements that have come into the fore. So, but move us back to March, 2020, a lot of uncertainty, you know, from shortages of PPE to obviously no real good therapeutics yet and a lot of political upheaval as well. So we decided to put together, leveraging the XPRIZE, which often launches you know, incentive prize competitions, more of a, an alliance with 100 different organizations from small and big NGOs to big academics, UCLA, MIT, and others, big companies from Microsoft to Intel's to Illumina's, but also small startups and nonprofits to kind of look at the problem space, whether it's PPE, testing, therapeutics, information. 
and to collaborate, not to build 100 versions of 3D printed printers or you know, 10,000 versions of masks, but help to find, identify, and catalyze the best solutions to market to make an impact. So that's a lot of what we did was help bring parties that often might have competed into the same room. We'd have these jam sessions, joint action meetings to help catalyze and brainstorm. And a lot of amazing things came out of those from a conversation between the head of the Commons Project and the chairman of IDEO, who kind of re-met in my task force. And they, from there, built uh, Common Pass, which is sort of a digital yellow card for now showing that you've been tested or have been vaccinated. That's uh, one of several examples. We launched several prizes. I was contacted by Jeff Huber, amazing entrepreneur who was formerly at Google, but then became the co-founder and chair of Grail doing early cancer diagnostics. And we came up with a prize with this open COVID screen project to do an X prize for fast, frequent, cheap, and easy COVID testing. Because you know, in spring and summer last year, it wasn't fast, frequent, cheap, and easy COVID testing. And people were dying and people were waiting days for results. And it wasn't pleasant to get the probe to the back of your nose. So we raised $10 million, launched a $6 million prize, had 70, 700 teams from 77 countries apply. We narrowed that down to 200 teams. We tested the tests with, we sent them blinded tests. We narrowed that down to the top 20 and came out with nine incredible winners across different categories from PCR to rapid antigen to using smell to using breath, using voice. So lots of things have come out of that project, which are impacting the world and will hopefully not just be better tests for COVID, but are going to lead to more cheap home-based diagnostics for other infectious diseases, other non-infectious diseases, and catalyze the next generation of digital health meets diagnostics. And we had other initiatives around better masks. There was a mask challenge sponsored by Mark Benioff of Salesforce for folks college age and younger. Some incredible better masks that came out for comfort and safety and design. We did an information challenge. And bottom line, the takeaway from an alliance is that you can really bring folks together that wouldn't normally play in the same sandbox, share data, share mindsets, share problems, and find and accelerate solutions that can make a difference. And where we're going next is hopefully the pandemic is not in our rearview mirror, but in a sense, this pandemic was, a, as my friend Larry Brilliant says, a practice pandemic. We could have much worse ones coming next to, number one, lay the groundwork to preventing the next pandemic or, or addressing it in a much smarter way, but realizing there's many health challenges, many of them which have been amplified, either social disparities. And so we're blending the pandemic alliance to more of a XPRIZE health and pandemic alliance. You can check out, if you go to the website, covid19.xprize.org, you can help sign up and join us on that journey. I think a lot of really interesting collaborations and synergies and accelerations will come out of that next. I love it. So glad to hear that it's continuing on. And you like you said it perfectly, right? The stage is set to really think through how do we answer the call for the next one? This is inevitable. We all know that. But to know that you guys are going to carry on and really think through how we can use this force of good and continue to get even better. Such an exciting initiative. Well, the lesson between XPRIZE and XMED, Special Medicine, is like it takes different parties from different arenas often to arrive at the sort of best solution sets. A lot of the teams that have won X prizes in the past, from the first Spaceship One that won the first Ansari X prize to get to space, to oil cleanups, they come from folks often with kind of beginner's mind. They're not the specialists. They form interdisciplinary teams. They mix it up. They brainstorm. They ideate quickly. That's part of what we try to do with the Pandemic Alliance. And that applies to almost any problem in healthcare. You need to get folks out of your specialty, out of your technology set to help solve for those grand challenges or even small challenges across health and medicine. And for the many entrepreneurs listening, that's what's exciting. You know, you don't need to be just thinking about the technology of 2021, you know, AI, robotics, 3D printing, nanotech, genomics, blockchain, mRNA. Where might they be in two and five years? How do you design your solution set to leverage the $10 genome and the next gen AI systems and the internet of medical things that might be writing 6G, et cetera, et cetera. So an interesting time to be alive and to blend what often used to be magical technologies 
They're creating fields that didn't exist when we were at Stanford, from digital therapeutics, digiceuticals, to AI-guided drug discovery, to digital mental health. A lot of these things are entirely new fields, and many entrepreneurs are building and expanding upon them to solve big challenges. Well, let's go there as well with exponential medicine. What's in store, Daniel? Obviously, there are entirely new fields, and exponential medicine is helping to lead that charge, to bring those thought leaders together to continue to push the ball down the field. I'm a football guy. Had to use that. But Daniel, where do you see things heading next for what you have built with exponential medicine? Where are things going? What's going on in the near future and even you know longer term? Well, watch the space. We're talking in June of 2021, we'll soon be announcing, I think of it as a complete reboot of what's next and what's possible. I think we're all, remember going to conferences and it's great to have a conference and get people together, but how do you keep that energy going throughout the year? How do you connect the dots? So watch for a complete reboot and rebrand where we're going to not just create an amazing central conference, but a network, a community, a solutions platform, a virtual and physical platform that's beyond the once a year get together that I hope will really help catalyze the next generation of entrepreneurs and clinicians and medical device and startup folks to really, you know, address the grand challenges in healthcare in interesting new ways and, and to cross collaborate and cross fertilize. And in many cases, start new companies, identify them, fund them, and help the small and large practices companies and others reach impact in better ways. And in a moment, I'll ask where we can find all of that online so our community can get a hold of it. And of course, stay tuned with all the big developments as they come forth. But uh, Daniel, also, while I have you, two or three things that you're really focused on, again, like I said, we saw so much happen in the past 15 months. What are you seeing next two to three years? What are you focused on? What are you most excited about? to move health and medicine forward? Well, we know like a lot of what these new technologies, exponential technologies, if you want to call them that, have enabled is, is new forms of data, right? It, whether it's from your wearables, I'm wearing an Aura Ring and a Fitbit and a Whoop and an Apple Watch. <laughs> it's streaming a terabyte of data a day. That's just a small example. I think we're moving from quantified self where it's sort of siloed on your phone to quantified health where that data can start to flow to your doctor, your nurse, your pharmacist, your clinical trial. And what I'm excited about is the ability to make sense of all these new forms of data, multiomics, you know, from genome to physiome to voice as a biomarker to your internet of medical things, and really start to gain insights from those. So instead of just data, we don't want data. No doctor wants more data from you. They want the knowledge, the insights, and then to be able to convert that into something actionable, whether that's how to optimize your health and wellness, how to better do, you know, use your digital biomarkers to do smarter early warning or to manage your therapy better, whether that's a drug, a digiceutical, or CRISPR. So what I'm excited about is starting to make sense of that data. We talk about a lot about AI. I like to call it IA, intelligence augmentation, to really do a much better job at really honing what matches the individual or community or public health rather than the sort of one-size-fits-all piece. So that's sort of data as the new oil, but making sense and contact and part of the user interface of the consumer, patient, and clinician. Because right now, a lot of the technology gets in the way of the human part of the journey, and we need to think great design thinkers out there and UI folks to help technology become seamless and help bring back some of the key human qualities as we better collaborate with technology. Yeah. And before you go to the second one, I want to just ask something because what you just shared versus what you mentioned earlier about what the pandemic exposed in regards to health equity, what you just described doesn't seem very equitable, right? We talk about wearables, we talk about data, we talk about quantified self. How does that work? How does that square up with health equity? I actually disagree. I get that question a lot. Oh, this is fancy, expensive technology. Well, think about it. You know, we're all carrying around supercomputers in our pocket, you know, that are more powerful than a crazy supercomputer of the 1990s. And you can get a $25 equivalent of a, not the best tablet, but you can buy a smartphone for 25, 50 US dollars. So we're entering this age of not just, of course, social determinants of health, but digital determinants of health. And I think 
even the bottom billion all have SMS phones. Soon they're going to have smartphones. And soon with platforms like SpaceX's Starlink, almost everyone will have internet access on the planet. So we are bringing health equity through technology to many places. And many folks, you know, you can have an AI chatbot that can do a good job of triaging you and then press a button and talk to, in many cases, a real human where you couldn't afford to take a day off of work uh, if you're, you know, a minimum wage job. You can get at least some insights into your health. And as AI machine learning can learn you in better ways, that can bring better health equity and better health education. So, and many of these technologies from the, the wearable ring or Fitbit are getting their 10 US dollars, at least the Chinese versions are. So I think in many cases, we can bring some of this technology down to reach everybody and make the information flow smarter, more personalized, and more actionable, and more proactive, right? We can spend far less of our dollars on the fancy gene editing and organ transplants and use that to do smart mental health, get people proactive and staying healthy. I'm a pediatrician. Get them while they're young, whether that's their diet or their education or their exercise. And that has the biggest impact downstream. So I think technology can be equalizer, not a disruptor in that realm. Well, I appreciate the challenge because I think, again, it's a lot of in healthcare, as you know, it's status quo, right? So we automatically go there like, oh, this can't be addressed to the masses, right? But to how you framed it up, actually we can, if we really think about it in a different angle, that costs is coming down. We can, in fact, do this if we start thinking in the right frame of being able to achieve it, right? So thank you for sharing that. And then Daniel, I have you on the hook for at least two. So what's one more area you got your eye on? Well, one challenge I've been trying to address comes down to that challenge of what's a pain point. You know, I get sent Lots of new apps and companies to see and wearables. I've got a you know, stack of fun things. I'm, I got my butterfly ultrasound sitting here next to me that the company's worth $2 billion. Jonathan Rothberg, an incredible entrepreneur. But there's a lot of these new digital health, let's call them solutions, whether it's a wearable or software as a medical device or a platform like Amada to help reverse diabetes or mental health platforms or you name it. Or it could be for scheduling your hospital or managing clinical trials. And there's just overwhelming what's out there. So looking at an unmet need, I happened to get the domain digital.health, which is a pretty good domain. And on that, I'm building sort of a home for digital health where you can find the solutions that match, let's say, what your patient needs. So it's less a consumer-facing platform, but one where you can understand digital health from the regulatory perspective, from the clinical trials, from the evidence base, but also a database of existing and emerging digital health-related companies and their solutions. So if I've got a patient with depression, hypertension, and heart disease, I might find the Alive Core to prescribe them and the Headspace app to prescribe and eventually be able to rate them and even have them covered by payers as we move into this era of prescribing apps and devices and services beyond the drug or, or the pill. And that can also lower costs, right? You prescribe uh, an app for treating kids with ADHD, a video game for mental health for kids. That's far less toxic and less expensive than taking Ritalin, for example. So how do you help the clinicians find and prescribe a bit of a digital formulary? meets a database of helping folks identify and find what's out there. So that's something I'm working on. And we'll be launching the full-on version of that in late summer of this 2021. I have been poking around on it, uh, Daniel. It's actually really cool. That's the basic demo. Wait for the real deal. I can't wait. I'm really excited about it because, you know, there's just so much out there. How do we make use of all of that information, all these different solutions like you mentioned? So rooting you on, keep at it with digital.health. It's a phenomenal initiative and applauding you there. So let's flip the script on you, Daniel. How can we be helping you? What's one problem, need, or question that our community can be helping you with? Well, I'll say thanks for the one question. I'll say for three. Number one, help me build the next generation of exponential medicine. We really want to create this into a, a platform that can really accelerate the new leaders, the new entrepreneurs, help elevate and find problems and help solve them in faster, better ways. It'll be in collaboration with XPRIZE. Number two, would love anyone wants to collaborate on really thinking how digital.health can go from where it is, which is going to be quite advanced in the summer 2021 to really a platform that really catalyzes, enables digital health to be useful 
because you could build the best solution, many entrepreneurs do, but how do you get that out there and paid for and regulated and used by the folks who are really going to benefit? And number three, I've had an interesting background. I did a Coffin Fellowship. I've helped startups for a long time. I've recently launched a new venture fund, Continuum Health Ventures. Um, and if anyone has uh, new startups in the seed stage, I'd like to help take a look at them and hopefully fund and support them on their journey to become the next impactful unicorn. Because it's not about being a unicorn. It's about, I think, driving value and impact for not just patients, but for health around the planet. Well, how are we going to be able to find all of that? You took it from one to three, which I love. You had the mic, run with it. So bravo. But where do we find all of that? Where do we find you online? Social media handles, websites, or otherwise? Or how do we get a hold of you? I try and tweet interesting things at Daniel underscore craft. That's Daniel underscore K-R-A-F-T. And then you can find a lot of what I'm doing in one place, which is danielcraftmd.net, which has some of my um, TED Talks and other elements to writings. I had a cover article on National Geographic a year or so ago to uh, what's next with Exponential Medicine and XPRIZE and, and other endeavors. You can also find me on the host of the CVS Healthy Conversations podcast, where we try and have interesting, healthy conversations and folks who are, are building the future of health and medicine. Uh, I think that should do it. Excellent. And we'll include those in the episode notes. So just scroll down in your favorite podcast player and click on through to get a hold of Dr. Kraft. Additionally, we'll have it over at our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. There'll also be an area to leave comments, questions, feedback, or otherwise for Dr. Kraft, again, over at passionatepioneers.com. Well, thank you for that, Daniel. One more item before we sign off. Well, you've got a lot of passionate entrepreneurs on your show listening, which is great. We certainly do. I always like to kind of sometimes close sessions with the idea that we have the opportunity to not have incremental medicine, but to take exponential steps, particularly with the convergence of technology. The future is already here, but not evenly distributed. Another famous quote. And that I think many of us listening, very lucky to be involved in health and biomedicine, don't have the opportunity just to predict the future, but to boldly go forth together collaboratively to create a better healthcare future for all of us here on Spaceship Earth. Oh, I love it. Well, I have one more segment for you where you get you out of here. It's a fill in the blank. And because you are passionate about this. I'm sitting stuff. down. Uh, are you ready? ready? Here we go. I'm a passionate pioneer because? Because I'm curious and persistent. Yes. I want to take two. You're a passionate pioneer because? Because I like to pioneer things. Start them early pull the right people into the wagon and cross the country, even if it's not obvious that you should be doing so. I love it. I love it. I love it. Although being persistent, that is very important on being a pioneer as well, for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Kraft. Always a pleasure to continue to hear your story. I've been following you for many years. It's an honor to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for taking time to be with us and uh, sharing your story. We look forward to all the wonderful updates and continuing to follow your incredible work. But for now, Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode. <laughs>